Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. Okay, everyone, it is time for the first new content of 2023. It's been a minute. The last time that we got new content was the Guardians Holiday Special all the way back in November. And before that, it was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So it has been a few months since we've gotten new Marvel content. In that time, we've had some great episodes doing some replays. But I'm not going to lie, I am definitely excited to get back into the swing of new content and new things to talk about. And of course, that is a long way of saying that we are going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania predictions today, and I am really excited to dive in. So Katie, why don't you kick us off? (laughs) I laugh because I've done so much research. Same. And I... I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to actually say. I've done so much. uh, I've looked at a lot of videos, obviously watched a lot of videos. I've been doing, you know, my own online research. And, you know, honestly, a theme of what I've started to get, especially on people, like I'm going to shout out Screen Rant. They're a great YouTube channel that I like to watch. What I've gotten a lot of is... Nobody knows what's really going to happen in this film. And, like, usually I feel like when we go through some of these theories, we're like, okay, well, like, here's a pretty good idea of where this is going to go. This movie just feels like a lot of, so maybe this will happen. And maybe one, I don't know, maybe. And I'm, like, very nervous for that reason. Because I'm going to have a ton of theories to throw out there for you guys and things to chew on as you get ready to go into Quantumania. But truth be told, I can't tell you for sure, a single thing that might actually happen. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one, you know, because they've talked a lot and they being, you know, Marvel just in general have talked a lot about how this is a really different way of using the Ant-Man character. Like, obviously, he played such an important role in Endgame, but really since then, they're kind of continuing that with him being, continuing to be an important character in a way that he really wasn't, even in his first, his own first two films. You know, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp were important to the character of Scott Lang, but in terms of the wider MCU, other than introducing Scott for Civil War, which we talked about last episode, it doesn't really have many larger ramifications. However, you get to Scott's role in Endgame and all of that and how he basically is the catalyst for the time heist, and Scott is the key to defeating Thanos. So now they've taken that, built off of it, and they're making Scott, and I'm kind of quoting or paraphrasing Kevin Feige here, he's like, great, so we made Scott such an important person in Endgame, isn't he now the perfect person to ring in Phase 5? And I thought that was such an interesting way to frame it. But all that being said then, that means that we don't really have a frame of reference for what it looks like when Scott Lang is the catalyst for some of the most important plot lines that are coming forward because we've only ever seen him in that role once and it was ending a saga, not beginning one. And so this is like completely new territory when it comes to that character. And to your point, like I am just green fields, have no idea kind of what is happening or what to expect. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And this character, he makes sense to be the one kind of really opening everything, peeling the bandaid off in the same way Loki was. Mm -hmm. Loki brought us the very first version of Kang that we saw. And I mean, Loki was the first, I'd say, major villain of the team, of the Avengers team. And he really opened, you know, in my opinion, the first few phases, or the first phases, because, I mean, yeah, the first few films were great. They obviously all had their own villains, but... You know, the dynasty we currently have with the Avengers wouldn't have existed without Avengers 1. And that single-handedly means that wouldn't have existed without Loki. And I think we talked about that when we were talking about Loki. So, the show, Loki. So, I think, you know, with both of them being and and having the value they held in the previous phases, I'm happy they're the two bringing this forward. That being said, I'm going to come right out of the gate swinging, and I'm going to say to everybody, do I think Scott Lang is going to die? Yes. Truly? Yes. Do I think a variant of him will survive? Also, yes. But do I think our version of Scott will survive this? Truly? No. I don't know that I disagree, to be honest. I hadn't really thought far enough ahead to think about the variant thing, so I like that twist on it. But to be honest, you know, and I know this isn't an unpopular thought, People are really questioning, how is Scott, Ant-Man, who doesn't have any abilities other than being very intelligent, as we talked about last episode, and being able to shrink or grow, you know, he's not at the level of a Scarlet Witch, at a Captain Marvel, at a Loki even. You know, these people who have innate abilities that make them stronger, Scott doesn't have those things. How is he going to go up against Kang the Conqueror and survive? think just logically that's very difficult to kind of comprehend that that would happen but then even you know and I know trailers are misleading and I know we'll get into them you know in a little bit but even if you look at the trailers there's that kind of voiceover that goes into the scene where you know Kang is saying there's no version of this where you win and Scott very specifically says I don't need to win we both just need to lose and I think that if Scott's going into that battle with the mentality of you know as long as you die along with me that's not going to bode well, in my opinion, for Scott's ability to survive this experience. And, you know, if you're thinking about it moving forward and what it could set up outside of Kang and the quantum realm and all those things, you know, you have Cassie suiting up as, I believe her moniker is Stinger. Yeah. You have Cassie suiting up as Stinger for the first time in this film. What's a better origin story for a young superhero than to watch her father die at the hands of Kang and then want to go fight him later on? Now, we'll get into how Kang relates to the Young Avengers because I was doing some research on him and a deep dive on him later. And it's a little crazy. It's very crazy. I didn't know the way that he's... When I realized that, I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And to me, it makes sense then, and we'll dive into it in a second. You'll understand why the context of why we're having this conversation, but it makes sense now why Young Avengers is not on the slate until after this movie because I complained about it. You know, where's Young Avengers? We don't have a date. We don't even have a time frame for it. We don't know what phase it's in. But now looking at the way that they're created in the comics, I'm like, oh, I get it. You didn't want to let the cat out of the bag until we saw this movie. So we'll get into that in a second. But circling back to Cassie specifically, you know, it makes sense for me to for her to have a vendetta against Kang the Conqueror because she killed or he killed her dad. And now she wants him because she watched her dad die. I think that's a horrible origin story. But like narratively, it makes a lot of sense and is actually really strong. I couldn't agree more. And before, I, I want to take that idea of Cassie and run with it in a second, but I want to say one more thing about my theory of Scott dying on top of that. 
And it single-handedly goes with the fact that Kang is the next big bad. Yeah. So for him to be the main villain of this film, it's like if we had seen Thanos instead of Ultron. Like, we would not have had Thanos defeated in that film because he was the big bad. Now, granted, there's a lot of variants of Kang and there's a lot of things that could happen there. But there's a part of me, and I want to get into Kang then too, just like his abilities and everything. But this version of Kang specifically, I just have a weird feeling about just because of some of the things that I know he's he has the ability to do on top of being in the quantum realm the way he has. And I want to get into that in a second. But that's another leading version for me to why I think, you know, Scott's not going to make it is he's like the first line of defense. Yeah. He accidentally stumbled in to, you know, a bigger problem that he didn't know existed. And I think that very much goes back to the call-out in Endgame. I mean, he was that first line, and I wouldn't say first line of defense in that case, but he was the first line to be able to get that narrative rolling of, guys, we might be able to undo everything that's happened. Yeah. And so I see that being, you know, now it's the other end of that. If anything, actually, he was almost the end. He was the last bit of the puzzle. I mean, everything was over. They were had accepted defeat, and here comes Scott. So I kind of see that being a dichotomy going forward as well. But to say how you were talking about Cassie, let's get into this a little bit. Yeah. I'm excited to see Cassie. I'm excited. I mean, I'm a little frustrated with the recasting. I get it happens. I just, it's a, it's hard. It's a pet peeve for me. I don't love it. Yeah. And you know, I think to date, the most notable recast has been Rhodey. I'm sure there have been other smaller character recasts along the way, but that's the biggest one that everyone notices because to this day, Rhodey is still a major player in the MCU. Now, you know, at the time that they filmed Endgame, did they know necessarily where Cassie was going to go as a character? Unclear. But I have to think that they kind of knew that they were going to put together the Young Avengers. So why wouldn't you cast an actress that you were comfortable moving forward with in that larger role? It is frustrating. Can I get over it? Sure. Exactly. You know, I think it's going to be fine, but it definitely is just kind of one of those things where it's like, I thought we, you know, left this kind of stuff in phase one when we were still figuring it out. We're a little too mature to be kind of making these mistakes now. Yeah, I think it, what really gripes at me a little bit is just that she really wasn't in Endgame long. Yeah. So, like, that almost bothers me more. Like, the fact that, I mean, like, I'm going to use Rhodey as a great example, like you did. I mean, yeah, we had a whole movie and, you know, I know there was background falling out, issues, all that, whatever. But it's almost like because she was in it so little, I'm like... That's annoying. (laughs) It's like a tiny two-minute little scene that, like, is, like, now just going to rankle everybody forever for two minutes of footage of her hugging her dad. Like, that is so frustrating. And now we have a completely different actress in the role for the rest of Cassie's evolution as a character. Yeah, exactly. But I think what's hard for me, too, is we're really actually going to see Cassie this time. Like, more than just a, oh, my God, dad. Like, emotional moment. And, I mean, let's start with, I mean, the girl is taking up her father's footsteps, you know, and ends up in jail. (laughs) I wouldn't say jail. More so, like, a holding cell. She wasn't, like, in a state prison. And I don't think she probably was doing anything intense. But, you know, I think, and I think maybe that's where the recast is going to be a little hard, is we see not only a completely, like, literally completely different actress playing Cassie, but because we saw so little of her, you know, 
we're almost given the impression she's just like the sweet little girl she always was. And now like we're gonna definitely be getting a different version of her. I mean, I'm not sure if this was a leak. I don't know what I was watching. But there's a scene when Scott and Hope are in the car with Cassie and they're kind of like having a little squabble. And she gets a little like nasty towards him at certain points. And I sit there and I'm like, okay. See, like, I'm seeing there's, like, a different side of her. Like I said, she ends up in a holding cell. Like, she clearly gets herself in some sort of trouble. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how her character progresses through this. Because I think her and her dad have a lot of growing pains. And this is the biggest part of this film. Like, this is the main focus. Yeah, totally. And I think that segues perfectly into something that we've hinted at in our recent, most recent episode about Ant-Man is kind of that idea of Scott losing time with his daughter. And, you know, I was rewatching the trailers today in preparation for this episode, and even just beyond his conversation with Kang, that is kind of hits you over the head with it, which, again, you got to take it not at face value, but with a little bit of a grain of salt, because you never really know. We've had Wong voiceovers that, you know, we thought meant one thing, ended up completely not being in the film, like the misdirection. We really ran with that during during that predictions episode too it was literally the linchpin of you were so passionate about it it was the linchpin of my largest theory and i was like oh man so take it very much with a grain of salt but i think even beyond that one of the things that i picked up on in my rewatching of the trailers is when cassie calls him in a scene he has the picture of her when she's five yeah and it's like so when you're saying that leaked scene or whatever it is because i didn't see it in any of the trailers that i saw so it might have been leak scene but you know if he's having these squabbles with her i can imagine that happening with a guy who still sees his 15 or 16 year old daughter as the five-year-old or i guess she would have been you know eight or nine year old well yeah because of the second ant-man eight or nine probably nine or ten most likely you know and so he's still viewing this little eight or nine or nine or ten year old cassie And she's a 15 or 16 year old woman now like she has her own thoughts and opinions and like had to spend five years of her life without her dad and thinking he was dead. So like, there's definitely going to be some stuff there. And I think it'll be interesting to kind of see their dynamic completely differently because you know, he was her hero in those first two films. And it's so obvious. And it'll be interesting how that changes now that she views him differently. And he's still viewing her the same way that he was five years ago, because to him, she's still the same. Yeah, no, I agree. And and honestly, too, in that little quabble that they have in that, like I said, possibly leak scene, uh, maybe I'm pulling something out of thin air that I like (laughs) manifested. I don't know. But I actually they are not only having like a little bit of quabble, which I mean, to be fair, you said it. I mean, he missed some of the most pivotal moments of her life. Like that's an like from 10 to like 15 or 16 is a very difficult time to, like, be growing up. It's just, it's hard in general, let alone the fact that you just lost your dad, let alone half the universe just freaking died. Like, she definitely went through struggles. And so, you know, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. But on top of that, in this argument, there's a mention of a suit that she was using or had or something of that nature. Which, obviously, I don't think, you know, that was any sort of spoiler to the sense that we've already seen her in her stinger suit. Yep. Um, We've seen it made up. Looks great. She looks awesome. I like that they all have their distinctive color. I don't feel like we had that quite as much in the last film. So I like that they, especially Wasp, is more distinctively yellow. Yep. So I'm really enjoying that. But, yeah, so I'm like, okay, we're seeing her there. Maybe she was using a suit she wasn't supposed to. I mean, 
I'm sure this was easy to tell too, but obviously Scott and Hope are in a relationship with one another, so there's literally a working relationship there. I don't know what lines sometimes might get crossed, because think about who Hope was. I mean, her dad created all of this. She always wanted to be, well, at the time, Ant-Man, because she didn't know Wasp existed. She always wanted that for herself. She, she thought she, I mean, that's the whole first movie premise. I mean, she didn't understand why her dad wouldn't let her do it. So I think she might have a soft spot for Cassie in that same realm. Cassie wants to follow in her dad's footsteps. And while her dad's going to sit there and say, "Mm, not so sure about that, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Hope's in there. And she's like, well, I mean, why not? So I think it's interesting. I think that'll be an interesting thing to see. I'm anxious to see all of them fighting together, interacting as heroes. But on top of that, getting into the main part of the film, or what we think is, um, the main plot point is obviously they end up in Quantumania, or in the quantum realm. Yep. Uh, Just a little tidbit. This is, to our knowledge, based off the microverse of the comics, for those who read the comics, This is what's to be assumed. We have not been directed otherwise. So as of right now, we can assume that a lot of those microverse stories are kind of what we could see play out in Quantumanium and the Quantum Realm. But what's interesting is Cassie, and I want to stay on this topic while specifically talking about her, builds what looks like an arc reactor, actually. And she says, we built this. Now, I thought nothing of this. I really didn't. I was like, oh. Till I watched a little YouTube video, which might have been Screen Rant, so I'll give a shout out to them. It might have been somebody else, and I'm sorry if I forgot who you were. But they pointed out that all the adults didn't know what she was talking about. They all were getting ready for her to show them. If you look at their faces, they all are having different reactions than people who look like they should know what's going on. Which means she's referring to somebody who's not in the room with them. And then a great theory can bound out from that, which is possibly... Iron Lab. Which we've already theoretically seen from Iron Man 3. Because it was not an accident that little Harley, I believe that's his name, from Iron Man 3 showed up after like 10 years. Well, not 10 years. After five years, maybe? I don't remember what year Iron Man 3 came out. No, it might have been closer to 10. What year did Iron Man 3 come out? Well, because they took all the Iron Mans out together. They were before Age of Ultron. Yeah, but it was after the first Avengers movie, so that was 2012, so it had to be 2013. So it was like five years. Oh, well, feels longer. I know. Well, I just assume everything Iron Man is like in the early, or the late 2000s. Anyway, 2013, right? After five years, they bring the character back. Same actor aged up well not aged up it's just he aged naturally like a human being same actor everybody's going iron lad iron lad iron lad so i don't think it's an accident that they brought that character after not mentioning him for five years they brought him back now we're talking about iron lad as it relates to kang and i think this is the perfect moment to talk a little bit about that the young avengers and how kang relates to them because There's some really, really interesting little tie-ins here and little connections that I don't think I really realized. And then as I was researching, I was like, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense, but is kind of mind-blowing at the same time. So why don't you kick us off and I'll fill in where I can. Yeah, okay. So this is is complicated. And actually, this is going to get into, uh, I'm sure, some of the more mind-blowing theories that are going to come out of this film um, and what we have going into it already. But essentially, Iron Lad is actually a young Kang. There's like a lot of time traveling things. I'm pretty sure he's related to Reed Richards. Let's take it back a step before we get into Iron Lad. Kang 
in his original form, if he had not meddled with time, is actually, his name is Nathaniel Richards. That's why the, you know, Richards connection. He's also related to Dr. Doom. Yeah. Which is also super interesting. But from here, we can go into Iron Lad. I just want to give that little bit of context on the back end. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up, though, and the reason that Taylor just, you know, kind of, I don't want to say corrected because you totally went around with it, but like, <laughs> kind of gave that extra tidbit, is because obviously, if he is a son of, I mean, either, because Dr. Doom is just as gifted, he is an extremely smart person, um, and pretty much kind of starts to meddle with time and and all sorts of things I feel like he shouldn't have. Essentially, down the road, he does realize, like, he's going to be an evil dude. Like, he understands that. And so he becomes Iron Lad at one point, does form the Young Avengers. He is the person who forms them, brings them all together. And pretty much they all work together to make it so that he never becomes king, is the idea. It doesn't last, obviously. <laughs> but it's it's the initial idea, and that's kind of where the Young Avengers get brought into all of this. And where Iron Lad gets this involvement and all of that is he is Kang before Kang is Kang. It's interesting. It's interesting. It hurts my brain. I don't like thinking about time travel, which is unfortunate because this is what we're at. But yeah, it's it's an interesting plot point, And am I going to be surprised if that's what comes out of this? No, not at all. No, I agree. And I know we touched on this at the beginning of the episode, but I think this is why we haven't seen the Young Avengers on any slates yet. I could see a month from now, two months from now. I don't think they'll wait till Comic-Con. I think Comic-Con, we could get more information. But I think a month or two from now, we'll start to get more information about the Young Avengers. You know, whether that's just literally as simple as what phase are they in? When are they coming out? Things like that. And then I think potentially at Comic-Con, we could actually see a full-blown roster, you know, like they did at, um, I don't remember what convention or if it was just a regular, just run-of-the-mill daily announcement when they announced the roster for the Thunderbolts. I think that was at, I feel like that was at SDCC. Or D23, because they're a couple months apart. Oh, no, it was D23. Yeah, so I could see it being a convention announcement where they're like, here's Patriot, here's Stinger, here's Wiccan, and I can't remember the other of Wanda's sons. Can't either. I think it's Speed and Wiccan, right? I was gonna say that, but I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking that. Maybe we're making that up. Either way, there's a whole host of young Avengers that have been in their respective franchises, and that could be the potential. And I could even see them tossing in a couple of new ones that maybe we haven't even seen yet, which would be super interesting. So I feel like this is definitely opening the door very much into the young Avengers realm and into that storyline. And we're going to get a lot more information on what that looks like timing-wise, potentially roster-wise, starting in the next month or so, because this is going to be that really first introduction, considering we have the guy who is the reason for Iron Lad as the main villain of this film. And it's really going to dive into time travel in a way that, yes, Loki did, and even Multiverse of Madness did a little bit, just because of the way that it was so strange and not really focused on the multiverse the way that we thought it was going to. Yeah. I think this is going to be what we thought Multiverse of Madness was going to be. I agree. Really opening the multiverse, really diving into the time travel aspect, going back and setting the foundations for what we know is going to lead up into Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars and just be that film that really firmly plants us and says, welcome to the time travel era, everybody. We're here 
And you better get on board whether you like time travel or not, because that's where we're going for the next four years, at least. I totally agree. And so I want to rip the bandaid off. Let's get into this time travel with the quantum realm and all that. We're no strangers to it. Just a friendly reminder. We use the quantum realm in Endgame to time travel. Yes. Did they dumb it down for us to a a degree? Yes. Do I agree with how the time travel was working in Endgame? No, not at all. But it was dumbed down. We weren't sitting there like the quantum realm, the quantum realm. We were, it really was, while imperative to what they were doing, very much backseat. But I have to say, I was reading an article that kind of phrased it very interestingly to me. And it was that the quantum realm is almost like a buffer point between every single time, therefore universe, because we have to start to kind of say that again, which is hard to, (laughs) the fact that I've been talking and worrying about this for almost two years now is like stressing me out, but it essentially is like a buffer point. And therefore they had to use the quantum realm to get to any other place in time. It is the only way to have gotten there. Would you call it a nexus point? Yeah, I would, unfortunately. And I and so I like the way they were saying that because to me, I was like, okay, wait, that's making this make more sense. Well, even if you look at the way Scott explains it in Endgame, because I know they were playing a lot of that particular scene over and over again where he says, you can enter the quantum realm at one time and exit it at another time. Well, that makes sense. You're going in, to, if you're going to take that buffer realm nexus point analogy, all right, cool, you walk in into it, if from door 2023, you walk out of it at door 202012. That makes a ton of sense. If it's the nexus where all timelines meet. Well, and exactly. And but this in itself, in my opinion, makes it its own universe. Yes. It is still its own timeline almost. <laughs> but I don't want to say timeline because that is complicated and hard. But it, it it's, you know, we have Earth 616, and then we have, you know, the Earth 8 something from multiverse of madness and to me i see the quantum realm as almost its own version of one different universe and i think that's the best way to look at it without wanting to explode your head a little bit yeah the only thing that i'm now questioning i guess my question and i'm just going back on what i just said you enter at 2023 you exit at 2012 and this is going back to endgame for a hot second when they were in the 2012 timeline, were they in a different universe or just the same universe but a different point within it? I don't know. Because this starts to get into the question of Kang. Now, I'm going to be explicit and say I understood nothing from Loki. Yeah, no. I'm going to be honest. I understand that he who shall not be named sat there and explained a lot. Did I get 90% of it? No. I have no clue. But what I've learned doing some of this research is time, and we'll get, and this will lead to another thing eventually, is just a circle, is what I'm learning. Time in the MCU is just an endless loop. So when he who shall not be named said to, to Sylvie, see you again soon, he was mainly saying, yeah, so we're going to do everything that happened, lead back up to this, and this is going to happen again. And then it's going to happen again, and it's going to happen again, because time is just an endless loop. Right. And so everything is always happening. Yes. That I get. That I get. Because otherwise time travel as a concept does not function if it's only a linear concept and you're not able to go back and revisit those moments. That I understand. It's just, I get confused where it's like, is it then a different timeline or are you simply traveling to a different point in the same timeline? So here's what I'm going to say to that. Until... Loki, there was one timeline. He who shall not be named made sure there was one timeline. That was the sacred timeline. That was all that was left, right? Because he 
defeated all the other Kangs, and he fought them, and they had a multiversal war. Right. And he made sure they that no Kangs existed anywhere else. And he stayed outside of time so that no Kangs could be, you know, made into existence in any other timeline. No other timeline existed because he controlled one. Correct. That I'm following. Because they were pruning. Yes. But Sylvie killed him. The second she killed him, that allowed for the multiverse to... Op- we were right. The multiverse opened in that moment. Right. And that is all those tendrils that came off essentially a ring. So the one sacred timeline that was a ring now had multiverses taking off beside it, which allowed multiple Kangs to start coming into existence, theoretically. Okay. The Kang that's in the quantum realm, my understanding is... What I think, at least, my theory is he was, during that multiversal war, he escaped into the quantum realm, or they were fighting in the quantum realm. And he was trapped. And he got trapped. That's my thought process. So that in Endgame, what you're saying, so I think I'm following you now because I confused myself. Well, and Endgame happened before Loki, before- But, but hear me out, hear me out, because I think I'm, I'm understanding based on your ring concept, which was actually quite helpful. <laughs> If the sacred timeline is a ring, we're going to call it the sacred ring now. If you have the sacred ring... Can we call it a sacred circle? Yes. We're going to call it a <laughs> sacred circle. You heard it here. We're, it just has such a good ring. <laughs> we're trademarking it here on Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories. It is the sacred circle of time of the MCU or 616. Let's go. Okay. Exactly. So in Endgame, they were just traveling to different points within the sacred circle. They were not, in fact... Because they made no changes other than taking it and putting it back, they were, which really then it negates, so it's not a change, they were then working within the same circle. Yes. Kang is killed by Sylvie, I almost called her Sophie, because her name is Sophie, the actress, He's killed by Sylvie. Then you start to have the little branches, which is what that visual was that we kept seeing in Loki of the alternate timelines. And that's what the TVA was always trying to not let happen. Right, right. So then we have the multiverse. So now I'm going to take it to your least favorite moment of all MCU time. Stephen Grant (laughs) Rogers. And I was reading... I think it was the Marvel MCU wiki when they they had an article on the quantum realm and how it relates to the MCU and how it's seen in the MCU and all that good stuff. And they were explaining that Steven went back into Steven, Steve, Cap, goes back in time to an alternate Peggy to live his life with her in an alternate universe, aka a multiverse or a not 616, and then popped back in to give the shield and then popped back out. That was confusing. Well, yeah, my big issue with that is at the time, to our knowledge, no multiverse was really a thing. However, here's my counter to that. He would have created a multiverse by going back in time to be with her, right? Right. Hear me out. Follow me on this one. Because Kang exists outside of time, what's to say that Sylvie killing him, or he who shall not be named, not Kang, Sylvie killing him did not happen previously because time does not exist in the end of time or whatever that place was. So Steve could have already existed in a, or Steve's actions could have existed in a time in which, or let's look at it this way. If you're talking about the sacred circle, right? Maybe we're viewing that moment in the sacred circle after it already happened. So like, maybe it's not even the first go around. Like maybe we're viewing a later go around of the sacred circle. And there you go. Which I get what you're saying. I just, I think what frustrates me with that is, we see Loki take with the Tesseract in Endgame. Yes. 
but then he's outside of time for the entire rest of his show. Right, which could mean anything, which is fair. That could mean anything. He could have been there for 17 weeks. He could have been there for seven hours. But the events of Endgame also happened only in a few span of days. Either way, I don't agree with what happened with Steve. I think it's frustrating to try and understand everything, and that's the one thing I don't get. Maybe he created a multi, he created his own universe and he was part of the multiversal expansion. I don't know. I really don't. I, I, it's just, it's a frustrating thing. I haven't gotten it since on game and none of it, it hasn't made sense. But either way, my understanding is this is what happened. This is where we're at. And the Kang we're going to see in the, in Ant-Man was, like I said, either trapped there. Actually, a really great theory I really like is, have you heard of a crystal? A crystal? Yes, called the Forever Crystal. No. I I told you I did a lot of research on this. I want to talk about a thing called a cosmic cube. So you hit me with your crystal and I'll come back at you with my cube. Maybe it's going to be the same theory, but they put two different names to it. Totally possible. Welcome to the world of comics. Yeah. (laughs) So essentially, what I learned about this Forever Crystal is that it has the ability to pretty much rewrite reality. And control time completely. So it's a crystal version of Wanda? Yes. That's literally what I thought too. Like I was reading it and I was like, yep, that's Wanda. Actually, Kang uses Wanda at some point to do that. Didn't know that, but sounds just about right. I also read that he was looking for a woman who was the mother of a, a very specific child with a ton of power. And he wanted to make sure he was the father of that specific child. So he narrowed it down to who he thought the mother was because the mother was named like the Madonna. So wasn't sure who her, what her actual identity was. And I don't remember who the third option was, but he narrowed it down to Mantis, Wanda, and someone else. And it actually ended up being Mantis. So all our talk about how powerful Mantis is... She's some kind of Madonna who creates some, like, very important baby at some point. Or, yeah, I don't know. I was just like, this is confusing. And, like, I feel like there are so many Kang storylines that are, A, very complicated, but B, super, super interesting. Yeah. No, there is. And that's what makes this hard, though. Yeah. And that's why this Forever Crystal, the theory running, and what I'm putting together with said Forever Crystal is that it's in the quantum realm. Okay. And it is what Kang is referring to when he's saying to Scott he needs him to get him something. That is what he wants. Because, and this runs deep, like I said, did a lot of research, got a lot of theories. I'm I'm now spitting them out to you. Because way back when in Loki, Miss Judge, whose name I never remember, Ravona. Ravona Red Slayer. Yeah. The love of Kang's life. Yes by the way, and I'm not saying her, but a variant of her, possibly, he maybe lost her or whatever. Because keep in mind, this version of Kang, his timeline no longer exists. Well, it might now, but the version of the timeline that did exist doesn't. Right. Because he who shall not be named snipped it. I think you mean he who remains. You did it again. He's not Voldemort. Dude, it's the Voldemort thing. I think I've done it the whole show because I can't not say it. He shall not be named. That's all that keeps going through my head. Okay, I'm going to say it wrong every time. But you all know what she really means. When you hear he who shall not be named in your head, you should be hearing he who remains. Yeah. Blanket statement for the rest of the show. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm never going to get it right. I just like I'm so ingrained with the Voldemort thing. 
Anyway, so what one of the theories is he wants the crystal to be able to write rewrite his timeline and, you know, get back with the love of his life. I think it would add some character to him. It would make it better than just I'm trying to take over the world. Yep. But he can't get the crystal. Now here's my thoughts. Two things. He needs Ant-Man to get the crystal for some reason. One of them could be he couldn't get it himself because Kang hates himself. He has to use teamwork to get the crystal. Well, every version of Kang hates Kang. Sure. (laughs) So Ant-Man, I mean, because think about it. We see it like hundreds of thousands of Ant-Mans trying to go to something that looks suspiciously like the Ten Rings, which I know we'll get to. And it's like a glowing orb. And we're seeing them all try to work together to get it. My thought, Kang can't do that. He uses Ant-Man to get it. That's what he wants. That will get him out of the quantum realm, and that will get him what he wants. Yep. So that's my forever crystal. What's your cosmic cube? All right, so I'm not going to lie. I did not actually look into what the cosmic cube is. However, I will say it kept coming up, I feel like, in my research. And the most important place, the place that I wrote it down, the place that I remembered, because there there was at least one other instance, because I wrote in all caps, the Cosmic Cube will be important. I don't remember what the second instant was that made me write that (laughs) particular statement because I was reading a lot about Kang. However, the Cosmic Cube is part of the reason that a certain character who we haven't even touched upon yet called Modok is created. And we've obviously seen snippets of Modok in the trailer. I happen to remember Modok from the childhood cartoons we used to watch. And I was like, that is a blast from the past. So really quick, just super fast lowdown on Modok. Modok was a guy who was actually working with AIM and was created by AIM, which if you remember, AIM is actually Killian's company in Iron Man 3. That movie that I genuinely think has zero impact on the MCU. Now... We think that AIM was actually destroyed at the end of Iron Man 3. Do we know that? No. Are they still existing as a sleeper cell somewhere? Entirely possible. In which case, I will eat all of my words relating to Iron Man 3 being unimportant. I don't think they are, because I have a theory that is going to go... Or not even a theory, just that goes against that. But this is comic book origin, yes. Yes, and I don't either. And that's why I feel very comfortable still saying Iron Man 3 is a completely useless film. Yeah. However, that is his kind of background. He was then kind of enhanced to be this super thinking machine and his head became too big for his body. That's why he's in the doomsday chair. That's Modok. What the heck he has to do with Kang and the quantum realm, I was not able to figure out. But I'm excited to see the character. It's one that I haven't seen since my childhood. I know there was a recent show on Hulu related to it that they canceled because I think they're trying to, you know, finally bring everything under one MCU umbrella. But that's neither here nor there. He is related to the Cosmic Cube. They kind of created him in order to figure it out and all of its different abilities. So Cosmic Cube, Forever Crystal, same thing, unknown. Different things, unknown. Which one is going to be the one? I think it's going to be one of the two of them. I think there is some sort of mystical object out there that is going to be important. Speaking of mystical objects, you touched on it. Let's talk about the rings around Kang's, I don't even know what you would call it, his fortress no it has a name but i don't know how isn't it the emerald city metropolis oh the emerald city is totally wizard of oz my guy i know that but i was i swear there's a trailer called emerald city which is why i was confused like on the marvel page so don't know well there are a lot of connections to the wizard of oz 
especially in this film of what we've seen. But no, I think it's like Catropolis or something like that. Yeah, or Chronopolis or something. Something like that. Either way, in his little city, there are these moving rings that, to Katie's point, look suspiciously like Shang-Chi's rings, which also... Oh, I just had a theory pop into my head that I'm going to get to in about 15 seconds, but first also are reminiscent of Kamala's bangles. Here's a theory that just popped into my head, and I'm sure you may have already thought about this, Kate, because you've done a lot of thought around this particular topic. But at the end of Shang-Chi, we hear our good friend Wong say to him, hey, your rings, they're calling to something. What if that is the exact moment that Cassie turns on her machine and opens up the quantum realm? Interesting. Especially because, well, they aren't in that moment, but Shang-Chi is also a San Francisco superhero. Yeah. So what if those two scenes actually align and that opening allows for the communication between those two sister-sibling pieces of relic? So I have some thoughts. First, I want to point out Kang's color is blue. It's like a nice little icy blue that we see everywhere. And I look at this... And I see that some of the rings are this icy blue. Well, if you remember Shang-Chi's dad, when he had them, they were icy blue. But if you remember when Shang-Chi had them, they are that like yellowy orange kind of like soul stone color a little bit. But then we see, you know, in that scene I mentioned with Ant-Man, when there's like a thousand of them, the rings are this orangey color. Here's my thoughts that are going to go to where you were. This is why I'm repeating this because my thoughts are a little different than yours. But here's what I'm thinking. Time is on a loop, right? Yes. Sacred circle, man. Right. So theoretically, Kang is bad. He has blue rings. Blue rings could be connected to Shang-Chi's rings. But because whatever's holding in the crystal, I'm going to go with crystal, whatever's holding in the crystal is Shang-Chi's good guy colors, some good guy is keeping the crystal away from Kang. He who remains? Or could it be Shang-Chi? What if those are his rings? How would he be in the quantum realm? No, what if he's not in the quantum realm, but a version of him in the future already did this, and we're moving towards that point? Oh. This is why I said this is going to get a little crazy and stupid, which is why you need to think about it as the the circle. So you're saying... They already did Kang Dynasty. They time-heisted it, and they went from a moment within Kang Dynasty, or quite frankly, Secret Wars, depending on how that all shakes out, They time-heisted from point A in the sacred circle to point B, point B being this moment previous to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. How interesting. And so the rings are calling to technically themselves. However, however, as much as I like that theory, isn't that more butterfly effect than multiverse? Dude, I don't know. Because I don't understand how they explained it in Endgame. And then when you add my understanding, how I understand this makes sense. When they explain it to me, I don't get what they're saying. It's like words, but like, (laughs) don't make sense together. I'm like, individually, I understand the vocabulary you're using. Put together, I do not. No, well, and it doesn't help that when we watch Loki, Loki explained it almost like a butterfly effect in the sense of, they create their own universe. Everything from that point on has a different... Yeah, so while it doesn't... So while the sacred timeline itself might not have the butterfly effect, it's like if you take the butterfly effect and you just are like, okay, but the, now it's going to make its own trail. Yeah. That's literally how I understand it. So, like, I don't know, but my thought is that Kang kept saying time is 
and pretty much a loop. That's why he said to see Sylvie soon. It was gonna keep happening. So I'm like, what if this all happened already? Ugh. This is why I hate time travel. I know. Well, and then I was gonna say, but what if this, now that the multiverse is open, what if there's a version of Ant-Man that, or maybe what if Ant-Man never went into the quantum realm? In a different universe. Yeah, but now he did, because now that can happen. And that's how Kang gets out. Because now he's going to help him get out, which shouldn't have happened because they already beat Kang and trapped him in there. I don't know. I'm getting a headache. Yeah, I'm I'm not tracking that, (laughs) to be honest. But it did bring in something for me. It, like, made something pop. If the Quantum Realm is considered its own universe, how did it pre-exist before Loki? Because Janet Van Dyne went in the 70s. I want to get into her, too. Yeah. Let's get into her. My big question before we do any of the theories around Janet, what is Janet hiding? And why hasn't she talked about her time in the Quantum Realm? What happened to her down there? I'm going to follow my theory, and I think she was witness to whatever they did to trap Kang there. Then why wouldn't she tell them? Because that could mess up time. But that's a butterfly effect. Hold on, though. The quantum realm sits in its own time. Correct. It's its own thing, which is why it has, like, time vortexes and all that crap. Because it almost, it doesn't sit outside of time necessarily, but it isn't exactly on time, if that makes sense. Here's my question. And I think I just answered my own question about how the quantum realm existed. Could it be possible that you have the sacred timeline with He Who Remains... But then because he didn't kill this Kang and he trapped him instead inside the quantum realm, that is the one universe that was allowed to exist outside of the sacred circle, even though he who remains is alive or was alive. And then when he died, then there were other branches allowed to break off. But it's almost like instead of the quantum realm being a branch of the sacred circle, it's almost like like two rings, like living in parallel. Well, and that's what Janet says. She says the quantum realm is like a universe under ours. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. I follow that. I'm okay with it. And like I said, I think her secret at the end of the day is whatever took place in the quantum realm with Kang to begin with. Because there's a scene in one of the trailers where someone's farming, which we love. And I think it is Janet when she first is in the quantum realm and is learning how to survive and she farms and everything. And you see things like asteroids almost crashing into the quantum realm. I bet you, what if that's Kang? I mean, she has a connection to him, regardless. Maybe she never told them about Kang. Maybe that could be her secret, because she never thought they'd go to the quantum realm. At least not like that. Yeah, she clearly knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, too, if we're talking, quickly going back, because I just need this logic to be out there in the world. If we're talking about, say, Shang-Chi had already come back from Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars to protect the... Forever Crystal, if he's moving from universe to universe, it wouldn't be the butterfly effect. He wouldn't necessarily have gone back in time. He just would have gone to a different point in time in the different universe that's not necessarily parallel to where he is. So if you're assuming the time moves in a circular motion, I would say that 2023 in the quantum realm does not necessarily line up with 2023 in 616 right. because we know the time moves differently. Scott says in Endgame... Five hours. He was in the quantum realm for five hours, and really it was five years. So clearly there's a mismatch there. So they just went from point A in 616 to point B in the quantum realm in order to do that. But in the quantum realm, because time moves more slowly, it would have already happened than when we already got here, or than when we're here now in 2023. Even so, regardless, you can still move at any point because if they figured it out, they're fine. 
Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I think she has a connection that runs deeper than that. And she she knows things, but you can't talk about... She's essentially a time traveler. You can't talk about that. Or you screw up time if you share that knowledge. In a butterfly effect. Yeah. But regardless, you could still... Or you create other multiverses. In this theory, then you would create multiple multiverses by sharing things. And then people act on shared things that, that you should never have talked about. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you think about it that way, it's almost like if you say this, they're going to make a different decision than they would have in the sacred circle, thus creating another universe and building into the multiverse. Yeah. I have a random question for you, and you don't have to have the answer. But I like to. I'm curious what your theory is, but we're years off from this moment happening, so, you know, and it deals with time travel, so, you know. But we know that Secret Wars has to do with an incursion. How... Do multiverses grow into one another in an incursion if there's so many other multiverses happening right now without the TVA and he who remains protecting them? I'm really confused. Like, what, how basically, my question is like, how do we get from the multiverse to two universes collapsing in on one another? What does that process look like? Whatever Doctor Strange did. <laughs> That's my understanding because. Clea came and was like, you caused an incursion. What did he do? I mean, nothing happened in that movie. <laughs> I'm assuming the incursion we're going to refer to is with the Illuminati Earth. That's going to be my assumption. Why do I assume that? Because that was the only one, like, multiverse we, like, actively spent time in. He also totally royally screwed it up because he brought Wanda there yeah. by taking America there. And Wanda literally killed the entire Illuminati. Yeah. So I'm going to assume by somebody else from a different timeline interacting and changing things, especially that chaotically in a universe, just, I don't know, like almost like magnets stretches the universes together until they like collide. Okay. Because keep in mind, think about Dark Strange, the one who already caused an incursion. And he was, you know, messing with way too much with the Darkhold and everything else, trying to, you know, get his life to the, uh, the perfect place he wanted his life to be, that I bet you he was screwing with other multiverses and sat there and eventually imploded them. Yeah. I just was curious what your thoughts were on how they all kind of came together. Because right now we have way more than two. Oh, I know. So is it the last two standing? I'm still waiting to get the comic from the library so I can understand. Like, you know, I know Battle World is kind of an amalgamation of multiple different multiverses. And these two are the last two standing. It's 616 and I forget what the other number is. So is it that these two are just the last two that haven't had an incursion? Like, you know, because how do we go from so many? I actually wonder, and I'm going to put this theory out. It's two years early. We'll revisit it in two years. Is it that Kang Dynasty, actually Kang is defeated, right? Because Kang isn't actually a major, a major, major. My understanding is that Kang is not a major player in Secret Wars, right? Right. So I almost wonder if Kang is actually defeated in Kang Dynasty. But to defeat him, it causes the incursions. Well, the results of Kang Dynasty lead directly into Secret Wars. I could see that happening. Now, will I come back in a few weeks or months or whenever I get this comic to read it and tell you guys, oh, I was wrong because now I actually read the source material and unless they do a departure, which again, always possible. We've talked about this before, but unless they do a departure, this is what it actually looks like. I don't know. But my understanding at this point point of Secret Wars is that he's not really a player. So how do you go from Kang Dynasty to a movie where the big bad isn't even really in the comics involved? That's my theory. 
I think after this film, Kang will escape the quantum realm. Yes. And because the multiverse is open, I think we will be seeing Kang start to pop up and that's the dynasty right there. Yeah. And I think in the fight to defeat Kang and therefore also stop I'm going to assume they want to stop the multiverse from continuing to spread. Because as long as... My understanding has always been as long as the multiverse is open, Kang's just happen. <laughs> I don't know how. I guess they just like, keep appearing. My understanding was as long as there is a Kang, he's just going to go and mess around with time and create other multiverses. So yeah. they have to like completely kill every version of him in order for them to actually be able to then get rid of the multiverses without him just going willy-nilly and creating more. Well, exactly. So I'm going to assume in the process of that, that creates several incursions, which then leads to Secret Wars. Okay, I can get down with that. Because not to mention, I'm sorry, but as of what we know is slated, I don't, I could not tell you anything else that's slated that I can confidently say affects this storyline. That's the other one. The third woman who's potentially a Madonna, Agatha Harkness. I believe that. She's not actually the Madonna, but she's one of his three that he's narrowed it down to. I was just thinking of the slate and I was like, that's the one. That makes sense. And maybe not in the comics, but she could be a very interesting one for the MCU. Well, and you know, what's interesting is one of the things that I kept bumping into on the internet was a very specific formula for how you get to the quantum realm. You get really small or you have magic. There was one other piece that I didn't think was as important. But small or magic, those are two things we can do. Yeah. And they pointed out that Doctor Strange actually visited the quantum realm in his first film when the Ancient One sends him through all of the different universes. Well, I guess it's... Okay, here's a theory. Here's a theory. Is it the realm versus multiverse theory? Uh, no. Dimension versus universe theory. And here's a thought. That might be the same thing. What if they're not, though? What if... It's a dimension until the multiverse exists, and then it's its own universe. I don't know how that happens or what the logic is behind it, but I'm just wondering if vocabularily, that's not a word, but it is now. That's how that works. See, I understand it as dimensions and realms, like the mirror realm or the mirror dimension, because I find, I find I use those words interchangeably. It also helps me narrow down that there's not three things in existence that I just call two, <laughs> but I see it as they, like, exist in the spots between universes. So, like, the Watcher? Sort of. Like, think about Dormammu's Dormammu. <laughs> I don't know what came out of my mouth the first time. Think about Dormammu's dimension, that dark realm he's in. I see that. Because, like, think about it. That's where Clea's going. She cuts open our literal universe to go to it. Right. And that's her uncle. Yeah. And you, we know you cannot travel through multiverses that way. That does not work. Like, she would not have just been able to, like, cut us open to go right to another multiverse. Is that her power, though? Because I don't know enough about Clea to make that a definitive statement. But as of right now, we don't know that she's able to do that, is my point. Okay, fair. Fair, fair, fair. But what if she's using the realms to jump through multiverses? Because they're almost buffer parts between the universes. Like, you're going to like this analogy, taking it all the way back to anatomy, you have joints in between your bones, right? Like on a knee, you have like a little bit of lubricant between your thigh bone and your shin bone, right? And you have like spongy bones. Yeah. And so like in between, they kind of connect, but like they make it so that your thigh bone and your shin bone don't actually touch each other. So that they slide past. Yeah. 
So I'm wondering if that's kind of how we're looking at realms slash dimensions as like these little gateways in between universes that also kind of tracks with how we've seen the Watcher move between universes in the past. Well, and it would make sense that the magicians are all able to use the realms. Yeah. To jump through because they have, they've visited realms before. We've had complete like proof obviously very first doctor strange she was in a completely different dimension yeah and we always were questioning okay what does that mean i'm betting you up until when the other like the multiverse was fully open i bet you they were kind of just their own little like they were just there and you couldn't go any further they were almost like endpoints, right you're yeah. out of the universe or the you're out of 616 but you can't go into the next part because it's closed it doesn't exist but you're in the next dimension. Yeah. I like it. I like it. But now that the multiverse is open, the sacred circle now has corners. Or if you're thinking of them almost as parallel rings, well, no, because I guess if you're branching off, it's almost like it's almost like you had the ring, and then if anybody's watching The Last of Us, like they kind of the the fungi kind of grow out in tendrils, right? So it's like you have the ring as the original, then you have the tendril that's the multiverse, and then you have the dimension that was almost like like imagine the dimensions were different outer portions of the original sacred circle so you have a dimension outside the sacred circle you have a dimension outside the sacred circle that's like a little bit around a little bit around but there's multiple dimensions right now you have a sacred circle dimension then a branch coming off of it that is essentially the multiverse however does the multiverse go through the dimension i don't know because technically they're like all the same time like they're branching off but didn't they also say time doesn't exist in the dimensions yeah because wasn't that the whole thing with dormammu was that's why he kept coming back and coming back and he was able to do that because there were are different rules so my that's why i understand them as they could be gateways because also keep in mind Clea was like, you create an incursion and then open the door to the dark dimension. And I was like, well, the dark dimension is not the incursion. Right. So I read it as we're going to go through here to get where we need to go. Gotcha. Like a hallway. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I feel like we're putting out some bold theories related to time travel and I'm excited about it. Well, because we're trying to explain it, which is not our forte. No. And to be fair, we've avoided trying to do for the past however long because we didn't want to have to worry about explaining it or understanding it or whatever. And now here we sit and we have to yep and i don't know if i do but here we are (laughs) this is our best shot for now we could come back after ant-man and the wasp quantumania and say all this is wrong and here's the new and updated theory but with the information we've got to date and the research we've done on the back end this is our best shot yeah hope this is helpful going into the film everyone because this is the lens with which we'll be going into it yeah i just have like some small things to throw out there one i just want to ping out Kang one more time to say this. This Kang is an ultra-powerful human being. Like, ultra-powerful. Totally. The reason I especially say that is because, keep in mind, Janet spent, like, 40, 50 years in the quantum realm and has quantum energy now. It's She pretty much has, like, a power. Do I know if it will run out? No, I have no clue. But... She pretty much absorbed quantum energy, which is why she was able to help Ghost. Right. And, like, allow her to, like, not phase. And now that I've understood a lot of this, I also realize, like, now I understand Ghost a little bit. And she literally is phasing between different universes. Ew. Okay, wow. That's, like, a whole other layer I didn't think about. And, like, the quantum realm. She literally, like, that's why it's so painful. Because she's constantly, without wanting to, phasing in and out of universes. It's like she's America, but, like, America goes all at once. It's like parts of her body are going, ew. (laughs) 
poor thing. Yeah, that's why it's so painful for her. I actually feel really bad for her now. Yeah, well, I didn't understand her in the second film. Like, I really didn't understand her. Yeah, it's not explained very well at all. Yeah, Ant-Man 2 is not one of my favorites. I'll put that out there just because I don't, I didn't feel like I got it. Like, I don't feel like it was well executed in what they were trying to explain to me. Regardless, this Kang, we don't know how long he's been in here, but he's just sucking up quantum power. Yeah. So that's why I want to be very clear. He's extremely powerful. The other thing I want to point out is really quick, because I know Taylor was talking about MODOK. The MODOK in the MCU is Darren. Yes. Literally, the reason he is... So unless they explain differently, the reason he became MODOK is literally because when... Scott shoved him into the quantum realm. If you, which we just did, watch Ant-Man, the first one, he literally, like, all his limbs go at different times. And so that is going to explain why his head is big and his limbs are small. Interesting. So that's a complete and utter departure from his comic. Yeah, which is why I said don't get ahead of yourself because Iron Man 3 still means nothing to me. (laughs) Honestly, I'm here for it because I've spoken out loud and clear about how I feel about that film. So if this is just going to justify that to me, I'm here for it. I also love the tie back to Ant-Man 1. I do And really bringing that home. So... This is one of those, I mean, I'm never super married to the comic timeline or comic storylines because I'm not an avid comic reader. I definitely, we've been clear, we dabble, we don't read them, you know, all the time. So if there are departures, it typically doesn't bother me all that much. This is one that I think is really valuable. I'm very excited to see that. I think it's, it's also going to shake up Hank a lot. Yeah. That's his protege. Regardless of how they ended things, that's going to be a lot for Hank. Well, and he clearly picked a side already. Yeah. Which, I mean, to my surprise, no, Darren's, like, so not there up there. Like, (laughs) I'm not shocked. He obviously was, like, Kang, bestie. Yeah. But, like, that's only gonna be another... And maybe that's why Kang sat there, and as soon as Ant-Man... Listen, maybe maybe Kang thought further out. Like I said, that little blue ball that when Cassie turns on the machine... Blue is Kang's color, clearly. Maybe he has more to have done with it than I than thought, but maybe it has to deal with Darren. And Darren knowing that the only way he could get what he needed was for Ant-Man. Because also, sorry, this is one more thing that I want to point on. Kang has killed Avengers. Kang has killed a lot of Avengers. He said that blatantly. He literally was like, hmm, you don't remind me of any of the ones I've killed. Yeah. Which means either he hasn't faced a Scott before, an Ant-Man before, which is what I'm going to run with. But also, that just means that he literally just, like, has, like, slaughtered Avengers time after time. Which is why I also think there may have been, like, we're in that loop. But he, because he's in the quantum realm, might not be stuck in the loop, if that makes sense. Well, it's a different parallel loop, so he still remembers it, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. So he's not, like, directly stuck in that loop, but every time the Avengers come, he kills a certain number of them, I'm sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's Kang, so that's my running thought. All right, I think we've put out quite a few good theories on this one. I'm very excited. I think I've hurt my own head. Yeah, me too. I kind of have a headache. But we're going to close out with our final segment that we do for every predictions episode, which is, of course, our mid-credit and end-credit scene predictions. Not gonna lie, guys, we have like a 20% hit rate on these, but it's still fun to think about. And this film's gonna be worse. Yeah, (laughs) and then reflect on later. So you go first because I don't even know what I want to talk about yet. So I just want to hear your thoughts and maybe I'll agree. (laughs) Okay, well, I put no thought to these because I was too worried about learning about the quantum realm and how that works. I'm going to go with what I always go with, my reasoning from phases one through three, which 
has about a 50% success rate so far in Phase 4. But now we're in Phase 5, so who knows? My mid-credit scene, I'm going to assume, deals with the film, like I always do. So it can go one of two ways for me. Depending on where the film ends, it's somebody leaving the quantum realm. Unless the film ends with somebody leaving the quantum realm. And I say somebody because maybe it's Kang, maybe everybody gets out, I don't know. My other thought is it's Cassie and a setup for Young Avengers somewhere. Like, even just a single connection to... I don't know. I would say Iron Lad, but I don't want to say that because he might be future, like in the film in a different spot. I don't know. I, you know, for all I know, it could be Kate Bishop. Not Haley Steinfeld. I know. I I was gonna say Kate, but I was like Haley Steinfeld. Like, That's <laughs> not who I meant. But yeah, like Kate or somebody, like just one of them, just enough to give like a seed. My end credit scene. I always have high hopes for these, and they're never what I want them to be. <laughs> like, they just, like, go in, like, some other completely random direction. If there's an end credit scene, because I don't think we've been... Com- usually by the time we're doing predictions, we've had a confirmation about how many end credits we have. We have not gotten that confirmation yet. So if there is an end credit scene, there's a second one. Oh, I don't even know, like, what's next. Like, what's coming up? Yeah, it's going to be, theoretically, though we have no dates other than the movies, it's Secret Invasion is in the spring, and the Marvels, both of which are actually tied to one another, so. Yeah, so I think it might be something with them with the scrolls, because I think that would be really telling. Although I have noticed, I think the movies primarily, any end credit scenes don't really associate with the shows. Like, nothing we've seen so far in end credit scenes that I can recall. You're missing a very big one. Yelena into Hawkeye. Yeah, but I'm saying she was already a character in that movie. I'm saying, like, I'm not sitting here having, like, She-Hulk pop up. I, I mean more of, like... I'm not seeing, like, show characters. Yeah, I just think, you know, if you're looking at Secret Invasion, those are all characters that aren't necessarily, like, new. Like, they've already pre-existed. So, like, you can see a Fury because Fury's been in umpteen films up until this point. No, no, and I, I meant more of, like, especially with Gillian, I meant more of, like, we saw her in that whole film. So her end credit scene, yes, she went into Hawkeye, that makes sense. But, like, it was more so where her character was going as a character in the movie versus we're not seeing like a random like tidbit of She-Hulk. We're not seeing like a random like, I don't know, what other show, Kamala like pop up in an end credit scene is more so what I was kind of like meaning, which is why I want to avoid the shows. I'm going to assume it either if it's scrolls, it's actually going to tie to the Marvels because I haven't heard anything about the Marvels or Guardians. Oh, I forgot. That is... Not the next thing. That is not the next movie. It is Guardians, not the Marvels. Yeah. Okay, okay. I have to say, on first blush, my mid credit scene aligns with yours in it being someone leaving the quantum realm. I'm going to go a step further and say I think it's Kang. Because I think no matter what, regardless of whether Scott and Co., with the exception of Cassie, who we know is going to get out of the quantum realm, regardless of whether or not the rest of them actually escape, we know for a fact that Kang should escape unless they are, in fact, fighting a variant. I personally think that the Kang that's going to be in Kang Dynasty is this Kang. I do too. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that. So I'm willing to say for the end, or sorry, the mid credit scene that it's going to be Kang emerging into the 616 universe from the quantum realm. As far as the end credit scene, my initial gut reaction was also Secret Invasion related or the Marvels related because that is, with the exception of Guardians, those are the two next properties coming out. However, I am choosing to go a different route because you just said that. And if I agree with you on all fronts, that's boring. I think yours totally has merit. And that was my initial gut. So not discounting yours at all. However, I want to get a little funky on it because it's fun. 
And we were just talking about how magic is the other relation to the quantum realm. What if we get something about an Agatha House of Harkness? I could actually see something, maybe Agatha comes out of her mind control and that's how we're setting up the show because we know that that show is filming. We know she probably has something to do with this. I don't want to say go that far, but she likely has something to do with this. The kids who are going to be in the show are going to be in Young Avengers. I don't know. I'm feeling very Agatha about this. I don't disagree with that necessarily, but you brought up magic. I wouldn't be surprised if Wong appeared. Ooh, yes. As soon as you said that, I was like, Wong has appeared in, first off, everything. Our ever-present connector he is. Yeah, phase four has been Wong's universe. I also, because you brought up magic and because he's already on the radar with, you know, Shang-Chi's rings, which also, by the way, I wanted to point out, but I totally forgot, Eternals... Their ship had the same writing as the rings and the bangle, so they're also tied into this. Anyway. Ew, I don't even want to go there. Which is why I didn't really want to bring it up, but I wanted to throw it out there because I feel wrong, especially because I'm a big Eternals fan, so I would feel wrong not talking about it. But regardless, because Wong has kind of touched on, you know, the rings already. Oh, really quick, going back to the Eternals thing. Kang has some kind of thing with, not thing, like romantic thing. He does have connections to both Cersei and Black Knight. So just putting that out there. Well, there you go. Sorry, continue with your thought, but that sparked that memory in me. Well, that's why I'm wondering if Wong has a, a connection in here too. Yeah. Like he, like something happened. I, he's also the Sorcerer Supreme. So like, I think he'd know if like something just like, or someone just did something or appeared in a universe they weren't supposed to have been in. Yeah. No, that's totally valid. All right. Well, there you go. That is a wrap on our Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania predictions. I'm not going to lie. I am really, really excited about this film. I think it's going to be a really good one. And if you're excited to hear all about our reactions, we're going to see it both Thursday night. So that Sunday after opening weekend, we're going to have all our reactions ready for you. And if you're excited to listen to that and hear all of our new theories coming out of the film, you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Follow the blog and check out the blog because we're definitely going to have some extra little tidbits in there as well. And if you're really liking the show, you can also check out our merch store on Redbubble, which is linked in the show notes. Make sure you guys are also following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at letstalk.mft and on Twitter at letstalkmft. We will have everything and anything relating to this movie as it's coming out on both of those. You will know when our new episodes come out and everything. So just make sure you guys are giving us a follow on both if you'd like or if you only use one of either of the platforms. Just give us a follow on whichever one you prefer. But as Taylor said, next time we're talking to you will be post-Ant-Man. It hurts. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not ready for what's going to happen. I know we threw out quite a few almost theories. I mean, half of this was us just trying to figure out how to best explain the quantum realm in regards to time and multiverses. So, you know, we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what's explained to us. And I'm excited. I hope you guys are all excited. Get your tickets if you haven't already, because this one's going to be... This one's going to be a doozy. This one's going to be what MOM thought MOM was going to be, is what I'm going to say. Couldn't agree more. Exactly. So, as I'm sure this won't be a surprise, Marvel is about to blow our minds, so let's talk about it.